The reading is from Psalms 13, verses 1 through to 6, and it may be found on page 537 of the Church Bibles. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph, triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fail. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, and he has been good to me. Here ends reading. So continuing on in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, found on page 1156. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fulfilness of him who fills everything in every way. Here ends the reading. Morning, everyone. Be good to have that passage open in front of you. That's what we're going to be working our way through for the next little while. I want to begin by asking you if you can, if 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 you think you can imagine this scene. Uh, you've just had a great Bible study, talking about the love and mercy of God demonstrated by the sacrificial death of Jesus. And you've been inspired and motivated to intentionally love and serve Jesus through this next week. People have been learning, fellowship has been warm and encouraging, supper was delicious. And then you go around the circle asking for prayer requests. And half the group tell you about the dramas that are going on this week. Uh, Someone has a sick grandma, uh, someone has an exam, the holidays are coming, we must pray for safe travel. And then you ask someone, what can we pray for you? Ah, nothing, I'm all right. When that happens in my group, I think to myself, were you listening to anything for the last hour? Are you thankful to Jesus for anything? And then sometimes I move on from that and I think to myself, how blessed is their life that they think it's so good they they don't need to pray about anything. I wish my life could be that worked out. 
But we can't leave them out. We have to pray for them. What do we pray for them? I think we struggle with prayerlessness, don't we? And I think there's two reasons why we struggle with prayerlessness. The first reason is we have an overinflated view of our capacity to manage our lives and to provide for our lives. We think everything's okay. We can work it out. We can sort out our lives. We can manage. We don't need help. But I think the other reason for prayerlessness is we underestimate God. We underestimate who he is. We underestimate what he's done for us in Jesus. We underestimate our complete and utter dependence on him. Uh, It's a great privilege of being a disciple of Jesus to be able to pray. And, and, And we've spent the whole of last term thinking about growing as disciples to maturity in Christ. And I think part of that is thinking about growing in prayer. And in Ephesians 1, that was just read out for us, I think Paul teaches us a lot about prayer. It teaches us that there are always important things that we can pray for people and it doesn't really matter if we know them well or not or if we know their life circumstances or not. Paul begins with that phrase, for this reason. Just to refresh your memory, What's the reason? Because God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. We didn't deserve it, but we've been blessed in this way to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves, in Jesus. And that grace results in us being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, because of which we're forgiven for our sins. And we were included in these blessings when we heard the word of truth and we were given the Holy Spirit as a deposit to guarantee our inheritance. And all of this is to his praise and glory. Now, I don't know what's going through your mind at the moment, but wow! Wow! Blessings that are absolutely breathtaking when we stop to ponder them. And so Paul thanks God for the Ephesians. Verse 15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, if it wasn't for God, none of them would be saved. And so whenever he prays, Paul gives thanks to God. He thanks God for their faith in the Lord Jesus. He gives thanks for their love for the saints, their love for Christians. God has transferred them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light and Paul constantly remembers the grace of God and he thanks him for it. How should we respond to these blessings from God? We're to praise him. And we begin our praise by thanking God. And so Paul constantly thanks God because it keeps him humble 
and mindful that everything he has and everything that they have is a gracious gift from God. We too need to be constantly thankful for all that God has done for us in Jesus. When was the last time you prayed simply to thank God for his gracious work in your life and in converting other people to faith in Jesus? One of the reasons I love going to the CMS Summer School every January is hearing the reports of how God has been at work in other parts of the world. It's, it's such a great encouragement to, to hear of people coming to faith and growing to maturity in Christ in, in South America and in Asia and in, in Europe and in, in Aboriginal Australia and all around the world. And it's cause for great thanks and praise when we gather together and hear the stories. Our, our hearts are full of joy and thankfulness that God is at work. And so when we also hear stories of, of how God has been at work in people's lives, whether, whether it's from one of our mission partners who we pray for regularly, or if it comes through a conversation with someone who's had a chat with a neighbour or a colleague or, or a family member, how should we respond? Our response should be to begin by praising God, by thanking him. Uh, in his commentary on this passage, Don Carson writes, if when a single person repents, the angels rejoice in heaven, then the least we can do is to pray and give thanks. Paul continues in verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What does Paul ask for? He asks God to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know God better. Now wisdom of course includes the knowledge of God's will and his saving purposes with knowing how to live the way God wants us to and it involves God's understanding God's work for us in Christ. And so Paul prays for, for revelation to further understand these things. As we saw in chapter 1, God's purpose is to sum up all things in heaven and on earth into Christ. But what does that mean? What's the significance of it? How, how do we fit into that picture? These are all things that only God can reveal to us, which he does do by his Holy Spirit. And so Paul prays, God, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Help us to get to know you better. How well do you know God? How well do you understand his character and, and his work in your life? Is he someone that, that you're continually being drawn to? Or are you keeping him at arm's length? Sometimes we treat people like that, don't we? We, we sort of meet them, we initially enjoy getting to know them and spending some time with them, but, but then something sort of happens maybe. We, we begin to notice things that annoy us about them or, or something like that or there might be a, a damage to the relationship and we stop enjoying the process of getting to know that person better and we keep them at arm's length. The relationship might be amicable, it might even be warm, but you should sort of keep them there because you don't want to spend more time with them than you really have to. 
God's not like that, is he? The more you get to know God, the more you realise how little you really do know of him. And so as we understand more of what God has done for us in Jesus, we get to know God better. And so that's what Paul prays for. Please reveal more of yourself to us in Jesus so that we may know you better. And by knowledge, I don't just mean intellectual things to learn. I mean enjoying a deep, loving, personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it really means to know God. Knowing and experiencing his love, knowing his faithfulness to his promises, knowing how he deals graciously with our sin and and knowing how he sustains us through all of life. Knowing God is a wonderful blessing. Knowing God more is a wonderful blessing. The more I know him, the more I want to know him more. Do you agree? Well, then how can we know God better? Let's move on to verse 18. Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now in the NIV, they're reading it like that. It looks like verse 18 is a new idea, but it's actually a continuation from verse 17. The original would read closer to this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, having the eyes of your heart opened in order that you may know the hope, the riches and the power. That's a great visual image, isn't it? Having, having the eyes of our heart enlightened. And we think to ourselves, well, what does Paul want us to see? Well, firstly, he wants us to see the hope to which God has called us. Paul wants his readers to maintain that, that eternal perspective, you know, that before the creation of the world, God chose us. He predestined us to be adopted as his children and through the blood of Jesus, we are redeemed and forgiven now. If God has chosen us, we are saved and we can be confident of that. But there's still part of our salvation which we look forward to, which we won't experience until we get to heaven. But we know that the hope for the future is secure and it's safe because it rests with God. And that's the hope to which we've been called. Now, isn't that something that you want to know and understand more? According to chapter 2, if we read on, we, we see we used to be without hope. And God has called us out of death and given us life. And so now we have wonderful hope. Paul prays that we will know the hope to which God has called us. Secondly, Paul wants us to see the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, in the past, I've always understood that to refer to our future inheritance that we'll receive as children of God. Our inheritance that we have to look forward to in the future. However, 
When you notice that the prepositions are slightly different to that, I think it means something even more special. Because he doesn't refer to knowing the riches of our glorious inheritance for the saints. Instead, he speaks of his inheritance in the saints. What does that mean? Whose inheritance is it referring to? Well, it's not our inheritance, it's his inheritance, God's inheritance. What is his inheritance? It's us, the saints. We are God's inheritance. We are God's treasured possession. Through us, God will display to the world the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us with grace and wisdom. Now, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 6, Jesus refers to the people who trust him as a gift from God. In other words, the gift the Father gives the Son is us. That's pretty awesome to think about, isn't it? God gave me as a gift to Jesus. Now, lots of men think that they're God's gift to women. (laughs) Christians are God's gift to the Son of Man, to Jesus. And Paul wants us to appreciate the value that God places on us because we are in Christ, we are as valuable to God as Christ is. We've been chosen in him, we are his treasured possession. We're waiting for our redemption because through us he achieves his purposes. And so if we're ever tempted to think, I'm not worth much to God, what would God want with somebody like me? then this prayer is especially significant for you. Paul prays that our eyes, the eyes of our heart, will be enlightened so that we may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in us. We are valuable and treasured by God. Wouldn't it be good to know that more? So Paul prays for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that we may know the hope to which we were called and to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Thirdly, he wants us to see, to know more, his incomparably great power for us who believe. And again, we ask the question, what does that mean? And again, some people interpret this differently. Uh, Some people think that this means that that Christians receive power to conquer things like sin or or suffering or difficulty in their lives or, or the power that might help us overcome weakness and helplessness. But that's not what Ephesians says. Paul uses different prepositions. Paul's talking about God's power for us, not in us. You see, God is powerful to choose, to predestine, to adopt, to redeem and forgive us. That's why these last few verses describe the way, the way in which God has worked through Jesus. Paul prays that we might know that power for our lives better. Now, what's that power look like? Have a look at verse 19, the second half of it. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What is his power that God wants us to know? Well, God's power is demonstrated in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Because by raising Jesus from the dead, God vindicates Jesus' death for our sin. Sin and death are defeated. And so knowing the power of God in Jesus reassures us that our sin has been properly dealt with. God's wrath has been turned away and we have eternal life to look forward to. This power of Jesus for us is exerted in Jesus when God exalted him to sit at his right hand. God raised him to be far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but in the age to come. All other forms of power will dissipate into nothing because Jesus will be given sovereignty over all. He is the one with true power. And so do you have any fears about the future or of who is in control of this world or who our Prime Minister will be in a few days' time when they finally work it out? In this present age, we're still battling against the forces of evil and sickness and death, but Jesus reigns supreme over everything. And we know that in the end, because of God's power, Jesus wins. That's reassuring, isn't it? So Paul prays that we will know more this power of God for us, that Jesus reigns far above everything else but but he also wants us to to know more of this power when god ex, that god exerted when he appointed jesus to be head over everything the church which is his body now as head of the body jesus has sovereign reign over it now i can't move my arm without my brain sending a message to it to move likewise i can't take a step with my feet unless my brain sends a message to my legs to, to move in a particular way. The head controls the body and the head takes care of the rest of the body. Jesus is the head. He's sovereign over the whole church. Everything about us and our lives is within the scope of his sovereign care. Nothing happens to us that God doesn't know about or care about. How does Jesus care for the body? Well, while we were still sinners and living in rebellion against him, he died for us. And now he sustains us and he feeds us and he helps us grow. What a sovereign and loving God we have. And that is the power of work in Jesus for us. Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's good for us. Jesus is now exalted at the right hand of God. 
That's good for us. And Jesus is the head of the church of which we're a part. That's good for us too. Earlier we spoke about how well we know God. Well, how well do you understand what he's done for us in the Lord Jesus? You see, what we know and understand is, is already amazing. But of course, God is God, and in as much as we do know him and his character, there's still so much more to know and understand. And so because God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ, Paul gives thanks to God for his blessing, and he prays that, that we will know God better that we'll know him better by knowing the hope to which we've been called, that we'll know him better by, by knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and that we'll know him better by knowing his incomparably great power for us who believe. It's good stuff, isn't it? What a great encouragement to have Paul praying this prayer for you. Well, to finish up, let's come back then to that issue of figuring out what to pray for people. Firstly, I hope that after hearing this and, and, and grasping this, I hope that if you're ever asked what people can pray for you, that you'll never, ever again, if you've done it before, say nothing. Because at the very least, we can always thank God for the blessings we have in Christ, and we can pray that we will know God better. At the very least, we can ask God for that. Secondly, on a related theme, when you are asked for prayer points, don't just focus on yourself and whatever drama's going on in your life. They're all good things to pray for. We ought to pray for those things. We need to support each other in prayer. But don't limit yourself to those things. Uh, expand your prayer concerns to include the things included in the prayers of the Bible, like this one. And when you've heard the word of God, whether it's in your private personal reading or in a small group or in a church context like this, whatever context, work really hard to, to pray in response to what you've heard. Give thanks to God. Ask him to help you hear it and understand it. Help him to, ask him to help you know him better, to, to understand his character more, to, to help you be obedient, to, to help you grow to maturity. There's so many things that we can pray in response to God's word, no matter what the passage is. Finally, I asked the group once um, why we struggle to pray because I figured that if I struggle to pray, then they do too. And the answers are given are all things that I experience. You know, we don't pray because we're, we're self-reliant. We don't think we need God's help. Or we don't pray because sometimes what's going on in my life seems petty to what's going on in someone else's life. Or sometimes we don't pray because sometimes it just feels like, doesn't it, we're talking into thin air. Or that somehow our prayers are not effective. Well, I think it's precisely because of those things that we need to keep praying the prayer of Ephesians 1. Because as we get to know God better, we will understand more just how much God has done for us in Jesus and how he powerfully works through Jesus for us. Don't you want to know God and his work more and more?
Well then, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you again that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing, that you chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight, that you predestined us to be adopted as your children, that you have redeemed us through the blood of Jesus and, and brought with that forgiveness of sins. We thank you that you've made known to us your will and purpose to put all things in heaven and on earth under one head, Christ. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, our deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for all these wonderful blessings. And, Father, as we stop to pause and, and, uh, and think about these things, we, we marvel at how, how wonderful they are for us, but even more so, we want to praise you for you are great and sovereign and awesome and powerful. We thank you for the, the hope to which you've called us. We thank you for including us in Christ, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And we pray that you'd help us to understand more your great power for us who believe and, and the ways that you've shown that to us through Jesus. Father, we pray that day by day we may get to know you more and more and that we would live with thankfulness and praise and that would be reflected in our prayers. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.